Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Techspansive. I'm Sean Dubrovac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. Big news this week coming out of Facebook and specifically the Oversight Board. Yeah, a little bit outside of Facebook. That's right. On, yeah. <laughs> on, when, on Wednesday, the Oversight Board, this is an external panel that Facebook has created to help provide some uh, some outside validity to their decisions and uh, and in some ways probably try to shield them from having to uh, make the call publicly. Uh, the Facebook Oversight Board upheld the decision to suspend Mr. Trump's account, former President Trump's account, preventing him from posting to Facebook or Instagram. Uh, the day before this happened, President Trump on his uh, website introduced a new section, which was essentially a blog. This is the start of perhaps President Trump's, former President Trump's uh, social media empire and a way for him to to have a public voice in a world where uh, there are uh, bans on his on his presence. The board did say that Facebook had made a mistake imposing an indefinite ban on President Trump and called on the company to revisit the ban in, in six months and either make it permanent or at that point set a timeline for reinstatement. So they demanded. Yes. Well, so demanded to the lower court. As but, much yeah. as Facebook wanted the oversight board to be the final word, the oversight board tactfully sent it back to Facebook for, uh, for them to have the final word. Pass the Zuck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in the, in the, in the past, uh, I, I think Facebook has uh, not always executed, um, you know, it's, it's PR approach uh, in, in a great way. And I think this time they did actually a pretty, a pretty good job of uh, building up to the announcement in that uh, a, a lot of folks thought, uh, for example, uh, Kara, Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway uh, had, were, were on Twitter and in their podcast, I think they were talking about how they expected Facebook, the, the oversight board, to reinstate uh, Trump's uh, posting privileges. And that, frankly, would not have been surprising because if you look at the record of the oversight board, I would say that they have leaned toward the idea of free speech, uh, which also, again, is not surprising because if you look at the composition of the board, uh, you know, it, it's very much uh, composed of a lot of free speech advocates and, uh, and, and journalists uh, and, and people who, who value that end of it. Um, and, and there's been some criticism of it that it's not really staffed with people who have a strong background in disinformation or preventing the spread of disinformation. So there was all this anticipation that Trump was going to be reinstated. And so when the oversight board did not vote to reinstate him, there was a, uh, you know, the most of the coverage was uh, about that, you know, yay, it, you know, they upheld, well, I shouldn't say yay, you know, depending on your, your point of view, but, but look, you know, they, they have voted to, to maintain the ban, right? So it, it really stood in contrast to what uh, Twitter has uh, decided in terms of a permanent ban. 
But that was really only, you know, Sean, as you mentioned, part of the story. Keeping, maintaining the ban for now, but not indefinitely. And in fact, saying that Facebook really had no right to institute a permanent ban, at least under the the guidelines that they have today. So they kicked it back to Facebook and essentially said, you have to, if you're going to make this ban permanent, you have to create a consistently applied policy to justify that. Otherwise, you can't keep him off the platform indefinitely. And uh, the, the implication is that you know, there's going to need to be some kind of review or some kind of standard uh, by which, you know, by which you, they're going to have to weigh, okay, you've, um, you know, the, the, the notion or, or the nature of what you're, you're posting at this point does not uh, justify kicking you off the platform. It, it's very similar in some ways, I think, to what happened with Apple and Parler, where they kicked them off the platform because they said, you're not instituting content moderation at a standard that we find to be acceptable. But ultimately, you know, Tim Cook had said, look, we want Parler on the platform. We want more apps, not fewer apps. And once, you know, there was a CEO change and apparently they must have implemented something uh, that, uh, or a policy that Apple just, you know, Apple uh, determined was, was good enough. And so Parler is now back on the App Store platform. So that's my takeaway from what the oversight board said. It really wasn't so much of a justification of what Facebook did. It was more of a uh, imploring, it was more imploring Facebook that you need to create these standards or determine when Trump can come back on the platform. And I would just say that, Sean, to your point about Trump's new blog, you know, uh, it's just him kind of posting Twitter length or, or maybe longer than Twitter length paragraphs with the fairly standard you know, share to social media buttons. Uh, would he come back at some point if he, you know, there, there's been a lot of speculation, of course, that he's going to launch his own social network uh, or, or, you know, hop onto one of the existing ones, perhaps one of the lesser known ones, perhaps one that isn't even, you know, perhaps one that's in stealth mode right now, who really knows? And, and at that point, Facebook could become the competitor, particularly if he tries to create some notion of exclusivity or membership uh, around this new social platform. At, at that point, he may have less interest in coming back to Facebook. Um, I think it depends a lot on his strategy. I, I think he's o always been drawn to huge audiences, and you can't beat Facebook for that. But he's also drawn to positive uh, reverberation throughout uh, his, um, his backers. Um, and, and so for that, a more of a closed network might, might be more appealing to him. He would certainly come back to uh, Twitter or Facebook to promote his new social <laughs> platform right. and to try to draw people as, in. As many businesses do, yeah. sure. The, uh, the Facebook oversight board in a tweet noted Facebook cannot make up the rules as it goes. Anyone concerned about its power should be concerned about allowing this, having clear rules that apply to all users. And Facebook is essential to ensuring the company treats users fairly. So to your point, Ross, uh, the, the board argued that uh, Facebook has to have 
you know, very clear and strong rules. I, I liked Dick Costello's tweet and response. He was, was, of course, the Twitter CEO from 2010 to 2015. And he wrote, this is literally the opposite of what every company must do. It's like saying, hey, you can't amend the Constitution as you go. Platforms working to battle new information campaigns, new threats, new abuses must make up the rules as they go. Mm, interesting. So he argues that uh, that the rules should be a should be fungible to to some extent. But uh, but to it's, your, t- it's tough to anticipate everything. And, so. and to your point, I mean, Apple <laughs> has very strong rules um, rules that some people don't like. In fact, they're we're in the midst of a, a lawsuit, uh, an epic battle lawsuit, if you will. And uh, and so you see that, that uh, you know there's some opposition to those rules, but but Apple, which have changed over the years, yeah, and they they yep. have evolved. So uh, so this is not the last word that we will get on former President Trump's social profile and presence, and and not the last word that we will get on uh, on what Facebook does here. I, I would just say I I find the response ironic. You know, this is the Facebook oversight board saying. You know, the group that was created to address these kinds of issues saying we cannot address these kinds of issues, at least not ourselves. So it's basically the oversight board saying we are not the answer. Yeah, and and I agree with that. I mean, I feel like Facebook wanted the oversight board to be the final word and then Facebook be able to throw their hands up and say, but the oversight board ruled and so we have no power here when the oversight board rightly in my opinion, says we aren't the company, you're the company, and we'll give you advice, external advice that is hopefully independent. But you know, we think that at the end of the day, you have to make these hard decisions and you should set up a framework by which you make these hard decisions. And, and that's kind of where they ding Facebook by saying you, you really don't have the, uh, the framework. If, if the oversight board, it, it's been referred to many times as Facebook's Supreme Court, right? Essentially, what they did with this decision was throw it back to the lower courts. That's right. So. Yeah. Uh, in, in other Facebook news, we saw that uh, there are plans to improve Mark Zuckerberg's image, including having him leave whimsical jokes on his page. <laughs> He he has he has uh, to his credit tried to use his page to um, provide a, a more approachable side to to the Mark Zuckerberg. Bart, there was a time where when they were really pushing videos where he was you know essentially showing a, a barbecue in his backyard and him trying to barbecue in his backyard and talking about it. So. Uh, before Clubhouse, before all of these things, when Facebook was really pushing video, they tried to get Mark on uh, on video, making more media appearances, discussing products more than than policy. And and there was a time a few years ago where Mark Zuckerberg traveled the country, trying to meet everyday uh, folks who use Facebook. And you know, I remember there was photos and interviews where he sat down with farmers and other people as he as he traversed the country to try to to create a, a more approachable side. Then of course, um, most of what we've seen from Mark Zuckerberg in recent years is him sweating behind the camera in front of a Senate panel or a House panel, uh, defending tactics that that Facebook used or trying to explain how, 
how uh, certain aspects of the internet work. Uh, the question I think this raises is to what extent are the negative perceptions of Facebook tied to Zuckerberg? And I would argue, you know, perhaps to an extent, uh, but I don't really think that's what's driving it on a, on a daily basis. I think it is the, the content, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I think it's the content that people encounter on the service, you know, as we were saying before about uh, Trump possibly using Facebook to promote uh, some external business or external network. A story this week about how Starbucks is considering dropping its public Facebook page because every time it posts about some of its uh, progressive social justice initiatives, it gets a lot of flame uh, responses and, and you know, a lot, a lot of hateful responses from people who, um, who don't approve of those measures. So, uh, and also complaining about, I think, the limited kinds of uh, moderation controls that, that it has on its page. And so uh, considering, I, I think it would be extraordinary actually for Starbucks to, to leave Facebook, particularly at this time, when for the past year, they have really lost uh, a lot of connection with their customers as people have not been able to, to go in and sit and, you know, have, uh, have coffee and, and work and such and, you know, have essentially been reduced to a pickup counter uh, or, or a delivery service for many of their, um, many of their customers. So the the timing is uh, is exceptional, but I think where, where Zuckerberg kind of gets pulled into it is that at the end of the day, he is the one, well, uh, at least on some level, you know, minus the input of the oversight board, uh, deciding on the policies of the service. So if he wants to improve the perceptions of Facebook, I don't, I don't think he really cares so much about what people think about him per se. But if he wants to improve uh, perception of Facebook, you know, they, they just need to uh, keep uh, implementing ways to reduce the toxicity of, of the service. Um, and uh, to, to the extent that that is tied to one of his beliefs that there should be minimal moderation or that they should not be the arbiter of truth, uh, that, that may have some impact. But... But I don't really think it's it's personality driven per se. I think that's the case for for all of the big tech companies. You know, certainly I don't I don't think people have a positive or negative opinion of of Tim Cook on any large scale. And and even if they did, I don't I don't really think that that has much of a uh, much of an influence on what they think about Apple. Uh, I don't I think Bezos has has been a very well known. CEO, but I don't think people have such uh, strong opinions about him that they that it has influenced whether they have a positive, largely positive or negative opinion of, of Amazon. I, I would imagine that, you know, most people in America couldn't tell you who the CEO of uh, Google or Alphabet is uh, or, or Microsoft these days because, you know, they're not as much in the public eye as someone like Zuckerberg or Bezos. Um, and uh, I don't I don't think it affects what what people think about those companies. So I would agree that it doesn't impact the perception of the average user and the average user probably doesn't care and, and may not even know. But it does impact 
the perception in Washington. It does mm-hmm. impact the the perception in other circles, and that has a has a very big impact on uh, the the trajectory of the company and what the company might be able to do, especially if we see stronger antitrust enforcement or the or the moves to break up Facebook. So the, there is a I think a uh, you know a personal perspective that they're trying to build around the company and and not just have it be this uh, you know the single founder and and this is what happens when you have companies that are essentially founded by an individual that remains at the helm. I mean, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates had this type of of scrutiny. Uh, for a long time and arguably still do. We saw uh, this week that, uh, you know, uh, Bill Gates and Melinda Gates announced that they were uh, getting divorced. That was ended up being massive news, you know. Uh, Jeff Bezos's divorce. Yeah, ended up- even, even, with, even without all of the, you know, scandalous uh, backstory uh, behind the, the Bezos's divorce. Yeah, those end up being just massive uh, storylines and, and headlines. And so, um, and, and Bill Gates, you know, for a long time was considered quite a, a ruthless business person. Absolutely. And, uh, it took the creation of a foundation and, and, uh, you know, the desire to give away a lot of the wealth, I think to soften that, uh, a, a little bit. And so well, that, that's not why he did it, you know, and, and Sean, while I agree with you that, uh, if, if anything, uh, I think you're right. You know, this is aimed at um, at, at regulation. Uh, I still get the sense that whenever Congress hauls all, all these guys in, or at least virtually, uh, I don't. I don't. I mean, do do you get the sense that they have been harder on Facebook because of something having to do with Zuckerberg's personality? I think that they, uh, you know, they they address all, all all of the big tech CEOs with the same degree of. Um, ire let's say yeah i mean we definitely saw remember the there was a hearing in town here in dc where google had been asked to testify but uh had declined and so they put a a seat uh empty seat with google's name in in front of it uh there the the old the old clint eastwood trick yeah (laughs) yes (laughs) so uh that was the first time i had seen that happen here in in washington dc and and of course Mm. you know in many of these settings, testifying is is not uh, subpoenaed; it's requested, and so um, they're they're doing it, uh, you know, in in an effort of goodwill, for the most part. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, it it and it may not help the their perspective in in Washington D.C. Maybe it helps shareholders. You know, maybe there's a, a shareholder argument too. Uh, we we see much bigger changes going on at Facebook. I think as you look at what they're trying to do around um, the, the diversifying their revenue uh, as it relates to ads and as it relates to the new updates for iOS and how that might impact them. So you're seeing them focus on keeping people on the platform, giving them more reasons to be on the platform, so that those ads are more valuable because you've got the, the uh, viewers on the platform. And then further down the line, there's going to be a great focus on transactions. And there's probably some risk that that's going to come under a lot of scrutiny when you've got 2 billion p- 
people using your platform on a, a monthly basis and you're getting them to do a tremendous amount of transactions there as well, there's going to be a concern about our, how much power do they have and how much power are they are they wielding. And for all of Facebook's moves, I would say that they have not been nearly as aggressive on the revenue diversification front as Twitter, which this week uh, announced a, a number of initiatives. First, the purchase of Scroll, kind of an interesting media aggregation play where you pay a subscription fee and that gives you a kind of pass uh, to bypass the ads on certain websites. Uh, the, the Verge is one of them in, in the tech space. And it's kind of a way to, to ethically uh, do ad blocking. If you, if you don't like the ads, but you still want to compensate the publications and you don't want to have to deal with the, the guilt trip dialogue boxes asking you to turn off your ad blocker, which have uh, kind of defeated the purposes almost of, uh, of having one. Uh, also, Twitter implementing a new feature called Tip Jar, uh, which will allow folks to provide a small amount of money to folks like journalists and experts to voluntarily reward them for uh, lending insight or knowledge. And uh, this, of course, ties into the greater economy uh, along with Twitter's purchase of review try and, and playing around with uh, uh, or thinking about different kinds of ways to launch subscription options for some of their more prolific uh, creators and allow them to, to monetize their, their time on Twitter. Uh, Facebook, of course, also active in, in the podcast space, Spotify doing more in that space. Uh, and uh, I, I think Substack, the newsletter company, kind of really, uh, you know, kickstarted this this whole new wave of trying to uh, allow folks to monetize their their content and their brand outside of you know traditional kind of influencer channels that we've we've talked about a lot on on the podcast like. YouTube and, and Instagram, uh, but as we were talking before the the show, I, I think Substack is really aiming toward uh, folks who have already had a you know pretty significant following uh, in in other avenues. Uh, they've been heavily targeting journalists who who have had uh, large followings at uh, traditional media publications because it is still very difficult to to build up those brands. Uh, and uh, I think you still have something of a, of a, of a challenge in that, uh, sure, you know, few people at the, at the top of the list have an opportunity to make maybe six or seven figures off, uh, off something of a newsletter. Uh, and yet you have, um, a, a, you know, the, the group that has traditionally been drawn to places like uh, Patreon, um, where, where it's just been a lot tougher. So, it's good to have the tools out there, I think, but uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to do much to support a creator economy. I think you see very different business models emerging. So Facebook, uh, not including Instagram, but uh, but Facebook is really built upon the average user. There, I, I mm -hmm. wouldn't say that there's any at least I don't see any major influencers that keep people on. It's much more about the the network of people, having a lot of people there. That's certainly what drives the, the ad business and knowing a lot about those users. So 
I think increasingly, you know, if you look at their podcast efforts, that's about keeping people on the platform. Uh, the the influencers in the Facebook space are these group organizers and and group moderators that are pulling like minded people together for book clubs or pet clubs or uh, you know other different uh, hobby groups that are keeping people there. When you look at Twitter, you look at Instagram, it is very influenced by these individuals who have mass followings. And I imagine Twitter probably looks at their data and says, hey, the, you know, the tweets that get the most interaction are from these heavy users. And if they decide that they want to start spending more of their time on Substack or Clubhouse or some of these other mm-hmm. places, and eventually we're going to see some monetization efforts on Clubhouse, then all of a sudden, how are we going to uh, you, you know compete against these when the the big voices, the popular voices, have left the platform? So we need to figure out a way to allow these individuals to monetize. And so they're they're constantly focusing on those in, individuals, the the key voices that have maintained the platform. And that's you know that's what's interesting too with their uh, indefinite ban on former president Trump is that he was a big voice on the platform and he mm-hmm. definitely brought people to the platform, kept people engaged on the platform. And so they have this delicate balance of we, we need these big influential voices. We need to let these big influential voices monetize if they want to in kind of a non abrasive way. And so, you know, they've talked about uh, letting them, uh, you know, charging for memberships and other things like that, or some uh, figuring out how to to get revenue to these voices and keeping them active there. So I think, you know, there's different challenges for these platforms based upon how that that revenue is derived. Yeah, I, I think you've nailed it, Sean. Uh, Facebook really being the the mass market, uh, and that's why, for example, podcasts, right, generally an ad revenue. Play is a great fit for them, whereas Twitter, a much smaller network, seems to be banking much more heavily on subscribers, where it's less about having the most users and more about having the right users. Uh, also, some uh, disappointing news for Clubhouse fans this week. Uh, research firm Sensor Tower reporting that uh, downloads of the app, which I believe is still available only on iOS, uh, are at a tenth of the level that they were, I think, uh, a year ago, where it had uh, nine million downloads, and now less than uh, less than a million downloads, nine hundred thousand downloads. So, uh, certainly at this stage of Clubhouse's uh, growth, you or, or development, you would expect to see uh, a very rapid rise uh, in downloads. And so, if uh, if that network can't hit critical mass, then uh, we may soon see the end of the debate as to whether Clubhouse is a service or a feature. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, and you saw Twitter move very quickly into creating a That's right, uh, expanding spaces now yeah. to folks who have only six hundred followers. So, uh, so kind of you know trying to move in for the kill. Whereas again, I think a service like Substack, which is now expanding its service to include things like sections and podcasts uh, may have reached escape velocity, not in terms of the number of people on the service providing content, but the amount of revenue that it can generate because of the subscription model. Ultimately, that's what all of these platforms are trying to do is is be 
attractive to these key users, but also be uh, create an environment where you have a sustainable revenue model and, and you create some amount of lock-in with these key users. And I think Substack probably achieves that or will achieve that for, for at least a section of its users where they're making enough money on Substack and so they'll stick with it where the masses probably won't make m- money on Substack, but you'll have a, a few select users and that, that could grow obviously over time. So we'll, we'll continue to monitor those stories for you. Uh, in our final story of the week, IBM says it has created the first two nanometer chip, which can improve performance by 45% at the same power. Or uh, in other words, at the creating the same performance with 75% of the, of the power compared to seven nanometer chips. So this is a, a big advancement for... Um, for chip technology and as we continue to battle Moore's law and trying to keep the uh, the technical characteristics of Moore's law intact for as long as we can uh, you see companies doing a lot to uh to to uh prolong the life if you will of Moore's law and create the next iteration of technology now it will probably be some time before we actually start to see 2 nanometer chip technology have any type of, of influence on, uh, on any of this. If you look at, for example, one of uh, TSMC's recent quarterly earnings reports, only about 20% of their revenue was derived from five nanometer chips. This is really the, the cutting edge of chip technology. 30% is at, at seven nanometer. And so um, you, you have, and you know, and then the rest is divided among other things. So, you still have a long time before that the leader here, TSMC, is driving the bulk of their revenue from five nanometer, let alone trying to move us to something like two nanometer. Yeah, just last year, Apple was describing the five nanometer M1 chip as uh, bending the laws of physics. So, uh, you know, if, if IBM has been able to uh, create a two nanometer version, uh, perhaps they've been all but broken. Uh, but but yes, um, you know, d- definitely a, a number of exciting things happening in the silicon space. A startup called Light Matter uh, saying that it has uh, developed a chip that uses light instead of electrical signals uh, to achieve uh, new levels of uh, performance uh, using the field of photonics. Uh, but as you say, Sean, um, we we won't be seeing these kinds of innovations in real products for. For years to come. With that, we'll conclude this week's episode of TechSpansive. Thanks so much for joining us. Again, I'm Sean Dubrovac. You can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubrovac. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>